Critics say the Perfect Pair podcast is a marriage and relationship fixer. Okay. You messed up, you messed up. And I finally had to just say, you know what, I messed up. And right. I left it alone. And then we good. But are we good? Because you still bringing the crap up. <laughs> right. So we obviously ain't good. We good. You having a Will Smith moment. <laughs> Wait, no. The reason why I'm saying. Don't I need to slap the hell out of you. I right wish now. you would. See us two <laughs> fighting on this podcast today. <laughs> what? You lost your damn mind. Download, subscribe anywhere you get podcasts and watch on YouTube. This episode of the Great Girlfriends podcast was created with support from Daichi Sankyo and Merck. Dr. Zarfos on today's podcast is part of Healthy Women's Women's Health Advisory Council. Healthy Women is the nation's leading independent nonprofit health information source for women. It is their mission to educate women so that they can make informed health choices for themselves and their families. Healthy Women provides objective, research-based health information for women on aging smart and aging well. Thank you, Healthy Women, for your partnership with The Great Girlfriends and the support from Daiichi Sankyo Merck. Welcome to The Great Girlfriends podcast, where we discuss life, love, laughter, and everything in between. I am your host, Sibylla Muti, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. So grab your pen and paper, grab a great girlfriend, get situated, and let's get into the show. Great girlfriends, I am so truly excited because as you know, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and this is the time where we get to heighten our sensitivity and connection to all of our loved ones that have been affected by breast cancer. We get to learn so much more about the data and the compelling stories that have driven this initiative forward, and we get to be the allies and supporters in all the rooms and the creative spaces where we help to create our impact as great girlfriends. So in true great girlfriend form, we have partnered with Healthy Women to bring together three dynamic women, absolute game changers in every way. And we are gonna today have conversation about what it means to be a great girlfriend, either as a health professional, as an advocate, as a patient, or as a friend who is in support of someone who's also uh, going through their journey of breast cancer um, healing and survival. So I'd like to introduce to you today, my three guests and now my three great girlfriends that I'm so excited to meet with today. I've got Sherrod Pate, I have Dr. Kristen Zarfus, and I have Missy Peters. Hi, great girlfriends. Hi. Hi. Hey, Sybil. Hey, <laughs> Energy is so good. <laughs> I love it. And you know what I love most? So Dr. Zarfus has one of the most powerful resumes I've read in a very long time. And we said, so do you want us to call you Dr. Zarfus? Do you want us to call you doctor? What do you want to call? She said, well, I'm here in my medical capacity. However, I'm a great girlfriend. So Kristen, so we're like, ah, we get to call you Kristen today. So quality <laughs> time with three great girlfriends. Um, I'm not going to do the bios because they are so long and beautiful, but I would like for you to kick off and just tell us there once was a girl, and I'll start with you, Sherrod. There once was a girl named Sherrod, and bring us up to today in terms of who you are as a woman. I know it's going to be so bulleted, but you're going to give us the once, there once was a girl named Sherrod, all the way up to how we got to this conversation. Ooh, that is powerful. It's so okay, powerful, so but you can do it. Okay, I can do it. How many minutes do I got? You have zero seconds. I'm just playing. Go for okay. it. Okay. <laughs> so there once was a girl named Sherrod who had an incredible opportunity to learn about the concept of gratitude through a extraordinarily unorthodox way. So being from 
Kentucky, a small town in Kentucky, raised by a single mother, having the opportunity to live, work, and travel on every continent in the world, um, and also having the opportunity to work in nonprofit, in um, for-profit, and volunteer service organizations. It has just been phenomenal. Um, my story is actually tied into my best friend, who uh, is also affectionately known as mom, and um, I for work, I travel every week for work. And I actually was at a, a business dinner and my brother who, it, you know, just kind of called me back to back and it was on a Wednesday said, hey, can you come to Kentucky on Friday? Which is so not in the DNA of our family, just last minute we're kind of planners in that. And so um, after a lot of digging, because I do ask questions, that's part of my job. I do that very well. <laughs> he says, I get a, a mom is sick. And so I, less than, uh, I would say 12 hours later, I'm walking through the door of my childhood home to see my mother on the bed in a state that I had never seen her before. And so I realized that she was keeping a secret from us, which is so not like our family unit because we're just not, uh, we just don't hold secrets from each other. And so found out that she actually went through her first bout of chemo. So why is this important? It is because that is the foundation and how I found out about my story. So a year of us going back and forth, getting her through her treatments and going through radiation. I go to my holistic doctor who is phenomenal. So Kristen, it's always a pleasure to see a doctor space who really helps to propel this um, very important diagnosis. Um, she says, Hey, Sherrod, it's very holistic. So it's like, so how are you doing mentally? How is dating? How is your family? Okay. So now that we have your mother and you are settled, it's time for you to go. Um, and let's get yourself checked out. You're not due for a mammogram, but let's just make sure. So, um, in that I go, I get, uh, a mammogram and I had to come back. Um, probably it was three days later. And then another three days later, and then the introduction of this thing called a biopsy that I had heard, but never experienced. Um, and I had four different types of biopsies that were extraordinarily and excruciatingly painful. And, um, and then I get a call about 60 days later that says, we have found cancerous cells so politely um, articulated to me. And so in that, I went through my journey process. The, the major part of that was a four hour and 22 minute surgery. And um, the great thing is, is that uh, a week ago Saturday, the last surgical garb that has anything to do with cancer has been officially retired. <laughs> yes. And so, yes, so I am beyond blessed. I will tell you that through this journey, a doctor said to me, so how far are you in your pink journey? And I was like, I love how you said that. And so I will say that through this journey, um, there have been tremendous blessings that I have been afforded through that. And so I do think that the only thing we really can control is our mindset to this. And so the fact that my mother was diagnosed along the same time that four other women were also diagnosed and they have all transitioned Mm. We are beyond, beyond blessed to be able to share the story 
and be with you here today is my girlfriend and these other mm -hmm. amazingly powerful women is great girlfriend. So there once was a girl named Sherrod and that is her story. <laughs> oh, thank you, Sherrod. Thank you for sharing that. You know, uh, we don't get to choose how we enter this experience, right? It, it comes to us and then it's our responsibility to respond. Um, Dr. Kristen Zarfas, Kristen, our great <laughs> girlfriend today, um, you have done the work and you have the data and you hold the keys. And in reading your bio, I was so impassioned by the work that you do and just learning your dedication to women and then specifically the equity and awareness for black women. I think that is so incredibly important. Um, I'd love for you to share your, there once was a girl named Kristen story and, and how you just became such an advocate and champion for us. Well, there once was a girl named Kristen, grew up Western Maryland, very simple, blue collar background, had the opportunity to go to medical school because of affirmative action. I was in the first class where they allowed more women mm -hmm. uh, to go to medical school. I went to University of Maryland Medical School in downtown Baltimore. So I took care of people of color. Those were our patients. We didn't think of them as people of color. We just took care of people. Um, that's the background. But through the evolution of being a general and vascular surgeon for 11 years and then focusing on breast cancer, I've been in downtown Hartford for a good portion of my career. I am a product of my patients. If a patient sits down with me and I have to explain like my dear friend Sherrod, 60 days before you got your diagnosis. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. But I have learned, my patients teach me what they want to hear, how they want to hear it. And during that process and taking care of um, a, a lot of women of color and being outraged, you know, I, I'm just the American dream of somebody born in the 50s. I had the opportunity to have an education. I want everybody to have an education. And likewise, I want everybody to have access to healthcare. Mm -hmm. And what I have seen painfully is so many young black women diagnosed with breast cancer uh, because they didn't have the option to screening. Uh, unlike Sherrod, I, I don't know your age, Sherrod, and, and you don't have to share that, but just a few statistics, which is not what this is about, but in, I'm answering the girl that's Kristen because this is my mission in life right now. I still operate, I still take care of patients, but my mission is to have equitable access without it being fancy words, just common sense. Screening mammography saves lives. 40% fewer women die from breast cancer in America today compared to the 1990s. One third of black women develop breast cancer under the age of 50. Yet one, one group of uh, guidelines say don't start mammograms until 50. That's the US Preventive Task Force and the American Cancer Society says don't start mammograms until maybe 45, maybe 50, maybe every other year. I have been the privilege, like imagine a, a young black woman coming into me, okay? okay, trusting someone of a different culture to take care of them, trusting and the most wonderful women I've taken care of, they have taught me who, if this, a 40 year old woman had a mammogram at 38, she would not have had to face mm -hmm. a mastectomy and chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. That is what drives me. I'm not just some, you know, do-gooder here. These are the women I take care of. And when a patient comes to me, it's my job to advocate for her. What medicine does she need? What surgery? So this, to me, is just a part of what 
my role is to be her advocate. So that is my passion. I love girlfriends. Through Mary Jane Minkin, I was introduced to girlfriends. And so such an honor it's been to be a part of today because I later will share with you what I have learned from women, not my wisdom, mm -hmm. what I've learned from wisdom about girlfriends and friendship and support. And I'm going to stop there. Mm, that's so good. Oh my God. <laughs> I need to hug her. I need to come out of my computer and literally go to hug her. <laughs> oh, oh, Sybil, may I? Sure, may I absolutely, Sherrod. Yeah. So can I just say, Kristen, like my heart just bursts with that. And I will tell you this because in the environment that I was raised, the Ku Klux Klan was very prevalent in my childhood. So there was always a delineation. There was always a delineation. And when I hear, um, and I think that where I come from, like the depths of me, when I see women who, who are a reflection of me, who are like, yes, I shouldn't go get a mammogram until I am 45. And I think about the day that I was diagnosed. I actually, my mother flew in because I was scheduled to um, walk the, 30 mile breast cancer walk in her honor. But I was diagnosed that day instead, but we still did it. Mm -hmm. And there was an 18 year old girl with her mother who was diagnosed mm -hmm. with breast cancer at 18. So this 45 and you do not feel any different. And when you then feel something, it is too late. And like, I plead that if you hear my voice and so well, I know we had the other introductions, but if you could just hear in my voice, pleading to go get checked out, it saves lives really. And so I am so humbled and I am so grateful to sit on this panel to hear someone like you advocating for someone like me. Thank you. Mm, so good, so good. And then Missy, Missy, I know that you started your journey very early into this experience. And, um, you know, when I read your bio, I felt the pain of imagining, you know, she's going to tell, but I, I just, I felt as a mom, very connected to how would I feel if I had the same experience that you had um, in your motherhood journey. So there once was a, a girl named Missy. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sybil. There once was a girl named Missy on Long Island. And in eighth grade in 1998, she fell in love with photography. Mm. And for, I grabbed my parents' point and shoot camera and became incredibly disheartened that uh, the photos that I got back did not represent what I saw. And it was a point and shoot camera. So for Christmas that year, they got me my first fancy SLR. Mm. And that's a Nikon that I explored cultures with. I was privileged to uh, visit different countries where people had different skin colors, different traditions, different practices. And I approached the world through this camera and it surpassed boyfriends. It surpassed, uh, stages of my own life, I still have this camera. So this camera is so much of what led me into my journey now. Um, I did not choose a career in it, but I ended up choosing a career path in a medical ancillary field. I make prosthetic legs. Oh. So to be educated and to 
I have a master's degree in prosthetics. Uh, I studied undergrad at Wake Forest University and actually had a scholarship for photography. And then I chose uh, to study prosthetics at Georgia Tech. And that prepared me where I had this career where I was involved and I still am involved in patient care of one who has had part of their body removed. Mm -hmm. And right, that is an amputation. We don't like to use that word with breasts because that's too graphic. I have had double mastectomies and I don't even use that word amputation with my breasts, but how odd and perfect that I have spent the past 15 years of my career sitting across from people who have faced amputations. And it was part of my role to guide our conversation in a way that I could create a, a clinical care plan to literally get them back up on their feet and rehabilitate through this life altering surgery and stage that they're going through. Mm-hmm. All of this to fast forward to my own diagnosis where I have no family history of breast cancer. I was 33 years old and literally like climbing this corporate ladder for a great company that's across America in terms of prosthetic care. And I found a lump and the worst part about it is I wasn't scared Mm. because I did not think I was at risk because I was 33 Mm -hmm. and I have no family history of disease of breast cancer disease. Mm -hmm. So I did the right thing and I went to my doctor and my doctor told me I had dense breasts and they are just generally lumpy. (sighs) And it was because I was so dismissed and traffic was really bad that day. So I had a lot of anxiety that I was late for my appointment that as soon as he told me he couldn't feel it, I just burst out crying Mm. because I'm like, no, this is a lump. Like I know my body. You do not know my body. I've never met you before. Mm -hmm. Listen to me. I have a lump right here. And he felt the other side and eventually agreed to get me an ultrasound for both breasts because they both felt the same which I ended up having to pay for the left one that I never needed. From there, they told me that it was benign. And I found out I was pregnant in the process. So when I went for my ultrasound appointment, I was six weeks pregnant. And they told me it was uh, to get like super clinical on it, but I'll jump right out of that stage for anyone who is in the medical profession. It was a BIRADS 3. BIRADS-3 is a type of tumor that is subjective. If you ever have a BIRADS-3 lump, right? Because it's not a tumor yet. That's the whole purpose of the imaging. We haven't classified it yet. This classification means that they're 95% sure it's benign. That was me. So back out of that clinical space, back into layperson space. um, I said, great, I'm not worried either. Let's grow this baby. I'm so happy to become a mom. And it took until my third trimester for me to turn to my husband and say, does this lump feel bigger? And he said, yeah, yeah, it does. Mind you, how many times had I been to an OBGYN? Pregnant, right? So doctors, OBGYNs, it is not their job to touch boobs these days. We have backed off of that crisis. And I see Kristen shaking her head. We are on Zoom. I see Kristen in a, in a physician space, like shuddering that the reality that 
is what it is. Doctors are not encouraged to touch boobs anymore. That's right. So, so my OBGYN never touched my boobs. And oddly enough, I didn't even think to talk to her about my boobs because I didn't associate her with anything above my rib cage. Mm. So, so I went back to my PCP mm-hmm. to start the process again to get this bigger lump looked at. And my diagnosis came three days before my daughter was born. Wow. And it had tripled in size. (laughs) And that's right. That's all my diagnosis. So then like, I'm, I'm feeding my daughter, my colostrum comes in, I'm feeding her out of a boob that I just learned has cancer and looking down at this life that just came out of my body. And I'm like, holy expletives how is life real? Like, is, is this the human experience? This is powerful. Some women say cancer does not define me. I say confidently cancer does define me. And I am proud of that because I have learned so much about life and, and what my, my, my goal to leave a legacy for my daughter is on this planet, because the horrifying reality I have discovered in making friends in this young space is that so many of us have been turned away by our physicians Mm -hmm. and told that we are too young. So I started photographing other young women who, like me, were diagnosed before 40. And that is the nonprofit. It's called the Breast Cancer Portrait Project. You know, it it blows my mind to think that my daughter's 10, that, you know, very soon I will need to begin conversations with her that were never had with me, even having a mother who has gone through her own breast cancer journey. You know, the the mammogram conversation was at 40. That was when it was, and even when I went to my doctors and explained, you know, that my mother had stage three breast cancer. Oh, well, you know, you're not at risk right now. You should come back. And I went to it. I had knowing because I've had these conversations (laughs) um, enough, I knew to have, you know, continue to pursue different doctors who would listen to me and even consider what I was saying. So I'm hearing that there's contradictions, Dr. Zarfus, in what's recommended and what's reality. And, um, you know, and then you've got doctors such as yourself who are on ground, really kind of pushing people to get in there early and have these conversations. And then you have advocates um, who are people who have survived and had their own experiences. What do you say, Dr. Zarfus, for women who are on the outside in some ways, meaning we know people who've had a breast cancer diagnosis or we've seen people who have lived through the diagnosis, et cetera, but have still not made the steps you know, what, what, what would you say to a woman who is really like, it's still, who still doesn't quite think it could be her, right? Or who still thinks it's not her time to go, you know, investigate, inquire. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, you know, a lot, uh, for a lot of women, it's denial, but it's a lot, a lot of misinformation that we're just talking about right here. First of all, let's talk about the healthcare profession. Um, I am on the same page with both of you and your stories that you've told. So I'm gonna give you some negative information and then I'm gonna give you hope. So it's very important. I have a a, a patient, uh, not violating HIPAA, uh, mother, aunt had breast cancer, 
Uh, nobody ordered her mammogram till 40. I was reviewing her records. Her primary care physician, Missy, primary care physician, did a quote full examination at, in 2018. And this one was just diagnosed and there was no documented breast exam. What is wrong with our healthcare profession? When you're in medical school, you taught to eyes, ears, nose, everything. Now we suddenly don't teach medical students to examine breasts, A. B, American Cancer Society, Susan Komen, both great organizations. Women don't have to do self-examination. When in the world do we, I think it's so sexist. Oh, they're just, girls are just gonna get upset. Forget this. Would you ever tell someone to ignore a mole, an abnormal mole or blood in your stool, in the commode, or a man has an abnormality uh, in his genitals? No, this is ridiculous. And I tell the people at a, a medical school in my state, this is ridiculous. Don't tell, you're gonna tell people, know your whole body, but ignore your breasts. So <laughs> I'm on the same page with you. That's outrageous. Uh, <laughs> it's outrageous that the medical profession, and I'm gonna give you two examples, June 3rd, 2021, the news hour at 7.38 p.m. They were doing a study on DC uh, mammogram unit and they interviewed a lovely 32 year old woman. And this is the essence of what you two sisters just told us, you two girlfriends. This young woman had bilateral mastectomies. She had chemo and she said, quote, I didn't think I was old enough to have breast cancer. And my doctor told me I was too young. So Sybil, in a circuitous way, I'm answering your question. This podcast, every way we can get the word out. And women, who's going to take care of you unless you take care of yourself? And if you go to a doctor or he or she blows you off, do what you two did. You need to just persist. You need to persist and say, listen to me and have in a vitriolic way or a polite way. And if, if they don't listen, you do what you did. You fire them, you go to somebody else. Because at the end of the day, for all of us as women, nobody's gonna take care of us except ourselves. And for all those people who love us, who we're responsible for, whether it's our parents or our children, the best thing we can do for ourselves, the best gift we can give them is carve out a little time for us to take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. I am outrageously angry at doctors blowing off women. I am angry that women can't get mammograms. But now I told you I'd give you good news, didn't I? I That's promise. Right. There are Come on, Kristen. I'm giving you a standing ovation right now already. There are <laughs> doctors from 14 different institutions in this country that are speaking out on changing the mammogram guidelines. Missy, this is particularly for women, for black women, because of the statistics I share with you. And Quote, call to action from Ohio State, published in February 2021. And, you know, I'm not really high in the food chain. I'm just a breast surgeon in Connecticut, you know. Um, but but that doesn't stop me because, because I'm just not going to stop until I die. <laughs> this is an issue because of you two women, because of Sybil's mother, because of Sybil's daughter's because we don't want any of us, Carolyn's relatives, regardless of our skin color. And you're right, there's an organization and Partridge out of Dana-Farber, Missy is into the young breast cancer survivors. But my particular interest is because black women are who I take care of. That's who I take care of, right? And so that's, and these 14 other institutions, if any of you want the references, I have the stack of articles here, I'll send you the references. 
but what we need is a voice. I wish it were the vice president. I, I am trying desperately to get to anybody. I'm glad to pass this baton to any of you as long as we, I have looked at who's in the US Preventive Task Force, who's in the American Cancer Society, and, and, and I'm just not gonna stop. I've been trying for 15 years. I'm a miserable failure, but this is not about me. This is a message that all of you have, and I want you to keep doing everything you're doing. Because while that wasn't the initial purpose of this podcast, it is a huge part of this podcast. Yes. This podcast was about girlfriends helping girlfriends through the process once diagnosed. We have to help women get early diagnosis That's or right. not diagnosed. So I'm going to stop yes. this off on the whole time. Well, no, no is, keep going. This keep is going. so good, Kristen, because it, there's so much about uh, breast cancer that can be considered beforehand. It's so There's so many preventative decisions, proactive decisions that we can make, right? And yes. conversations. And I have to say, honestly, prior to last year, you know, when I probably started with Dr. Minkin and, and had our early conversations about breast cancer awareness, my friend circles did not even converse about those things as actively as we did. It was more so my mom, my aunt, hearing these conversations and bringing back, you know, reactions versus us proactively saying, hey, have you had your mammograms? Do you want me to go with you? You know, how, you know, what is that? What has it, what was your experience? So I'm curious um, from your observation standpoint, just a qualitative observation, when you do see women that are in for their mammograms, are they with great girlfriends? Are they by themselves? And then what, 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 ha how has that isolation or connection made a difference in how they journey? Well, up front before the diagnosis, yes, there used to be, Joanne Nesty used to be on one of the local stations and she had a buddy partner program. It, it went away years ago, but what a great thing that any of us could yeah. start. Let's, let's buddy up. Okay. Yeah. Let's just, and, and particularly post COVID when a lot of us, a, a lot of people were cautious about going inst into institutions um, and delay in mammogram, but now we have to navigate through the minefield of COVID wherever you are in the country and still be proactive. I see there are three issues here the guidelines, but we need to educate women without making them feel that they're a victim or something's wrong with them, right? And yeah. that means empower women with facts, which is what you're doing today. And the third component is the medical profession. And um, the people I've gone to, the healthcare organizations I've gone to, the foundations I've gone to, you name it, I've gone to it. That's what I ask for. That's what we need to do educate women in a positive, proactive way, yeah. you know, not, oh, you're going to get breast cancer in your thirties. Quite the contrary. Let's talk about things we can do. Know your body, be comfortable with it. And then don't take no for an answer. And Sybil, I think you start teaching your girls when you take them out for their first bra, you know, let's do That's a so breast. Okay, let's yeah. look at what breasts look like. You know, all of us have one breast larger than the other. I mean, without, I have a son, so I'm now I'm really taking a leap of faith. I've never done this, but it seems to me a natural time to talk about breasts, yeah. not necessarily, yeah. cancer, but how you examine them, what you look for. And then you morph that into, oh, you look at your skin for moles or whatever else. It's an opportunity yeah. to say, this is what our body's all about I and what it can do. Uh, breastfeeding your baby, Missy, what it can do. And that how we can keep it healthy. And it's 
such yeah. a positive opportunity. Mm-hmm. I yeah. love that. You know, I, I start thinking about those self-love conversations that we're having as women, um, which are huge and so important and essential. And I know that the, the, one of the physical components that we could integrate or incorporate into that messaging is loving our breasts. And like, you know, part of loving our breasts is attending to them in the right way, which takes away sort of the medical disposition of yikes, what's next, you know, the, the negative anticipation. And it brings us into more of a, of a nurture. And I think if we can, as women can reframe the language, you know, in the way we communicate people, you know, listen, Kristen, not everyone loves doctors, not everyone. <laughs> Not everyone wants to go to the doc, you know, so when people think uh, of things from a, uh, from a medical perspective, they get afraid, they get anxious, they get nervous. But if we're thinking from self-love and what does it look like to nurture our bodies and nurture our, our long life and give us longevity, I think for, it feels better to women. So I know that that's part of the role I can play is to change, you know, integrate that into conversation about how are you nurturing yourself? How are you nurturing your breasts and what that yeah. looks like, you know, tactically. Um, I, I wanted to ask you both, Missy and Sherrod. Um, Missy, I'll point to you first. You know, the conversations with your friends change after you get such a diagnosis. The relationships change and the expectations change. How did that diagnosis affect or infect your relationships to, to maybe add some volume, add love? Or, or did you find that your great girlfriends, you know, your circle changed as a result? I will say at large, I feel motherly to any woman who might be in a place like I am or was um, because I was average risk. 50% yeah. of the women in my nonprofit portrait project have no history of disease, which is why I feel very motherly to any woman who has no risk factors because she needs to know that she too is at risk. And I have tried to be as vocal as possible with my friend groups um, and with really the, the premise of the nonprofit of my taking photos of someone is to try to give them content, a gallery for free so that they can use their images in a grassroots effort. We're so socially connected through social media and to tell them, girlfriend, keep sharing your story because it is your extended network that this may not be on their radar, but like keep bringing power to your voice because you can affect the people in your circles. And if every single woman I photograph does that, this can become, and the efforts need to be much more than this, but this is what me as one little person feels like I can do for this mm -hmm. world. But Kristen, we're going to talk after this because we, we got a partner here as our, we are now girlfriends. Sherrod. <laughs> so, okay. Yes. So I will make this short. I have three things. Kristen, I am your bat your baton. So yes, right. I will take that challenge. Um, second is with the doctor engagement. I cannot emphasize this enough. And Sybil, I'm sorry. I promise you I'll keep it short. But for um, especially for Black women under the sound of my voice, you do not owe the doctors anything, anything. I had an interview with 12 doctors Okay. No. Um, 10 surgeons and two uh, radiologists before it took me to the doors of, you know, Dr. Bowman, and Dr. Ma, who are phenomenal. And, you know, people have their own kind of just desires that they have for your body, but it is your body. 
And so, and I think that when it comes to self-diagnosis, there is an and to that. I did not, right? I went for my mammogram. Then it was, the nurse said, I thought this is hilarious. And it always it's like ingrained in my brain. She said, hey, we have an anal doctor on duty and she thinks she sees something. Okay, cool. But you started with, I apologize, right? I guarantee you this, if it was not for that nurse, I would be dead, period, wow. right? So when you think about that, it really is the power of the and. And so, and I think that we have, there is a culture piece to our interactions with doctors that I just feel it's imperative that I have us to rise up and know that regardless of your economic status, right? Your academic stature, you have the right to ask questions. And if you do not move on, there are too many doctors. Yes. Too many doctors. Okay. Sorry, simple. Okay. And so then with, uh, (laughs) with great girlfriends, I mean, I would just say catalyst. Uh, I think that it's really important to know your friend group. (laughs) So I have friends that are really anal. I have friends that are, you know, that lift me up in spirit. And so I just, I remember this one person who I knew would help me think through everything. Hey, when's your mom coming? How are you going to get food? What time is your surgery? How long is it going to be? What is your long care plan? I have this app for you. And, and it just went in. Like, who? what other friends do I need to contact? So she was my catalyst to engagement with all of my other girlfriends. But inevitably, like, because of this diagnosis, I am also a catalyst. So I have the paid experience where I'm often talking about cancer and the things that we can do and how are you getting the mammograms? And so some of the some of the kind of the biggest feedback that I have gotten is when I run into the men that have said, I have asked my wife to go get a mammogram or asked her when was the last mammogram. And then I also said, you know what, you also need to do your due diligence because men are also um, affected by breast cancer that is not talked about. I know this is not the form for that, but I did just want to bring that up. Well, but so. it, it, you know, it's not the form, but you know, we are all having a human experience and there's certainly we are. the men that we love. And that's right. You know, if we can add a question or two into conversation as we love the people in our life, it makes a world yeah. of difference. Right. And so without, without a doubt. Yeah. A doubt. So I'd love to know from uh, each one of you, you know, support looks different in every circumstance. Missy, you were, you know, a brand new mother. That's a whole other, who, <laughs> it's a whole other who, you know, on top of this, di- <laughs> on top of this diagnosis. And, and what, what you said as you were nursing your new baby from a breast that had the lump and your consideration of this breast has cancer. And as a mom, I'm thinking, you know, it, it, which could probably be the most ignorant thing I'm thinking at the time, but this is my thought. I'm just want to be transparent since I'm with girlfriends. Am I in any way transmitting cancer to my baby? Right. So then yeah, there's the fear right? of do I breastfeed while I'm, yeah. you know, there's all those things. So none of that was missed, Missy. I, I just want you to know that. And, um, you know, it's unfathomable what your emotional state must have been during that time. But I do want to yeah. know from you, um, what was one question or one choice that one of your great girlfriends made that made a difference in their ability to show up for you? 
Yeah. It actually surprised me. I have an immediate response and it's not even someone that was a close friend of mine. Um, but as, as we're speaking to, I had an infant and I started chemotherapy shortly afterwards on my maternity leave, mm-hmm. uh, very supportive husband, but my infant could not come in the infusion center. Mm-hmm. Rightly so. I wouldn't want here. They gown up to give us those. Yeah chemo infusions. Like, I don't want my infant near that stuff either. Mm-hmm. So I had a girl that I have right photography. She was a boudoir client of mine mm-hmm. who was friendly with me. And she asked me if I needed someone to watch my baby. Mm-hmm. And I felt guilty saying yes to her we obviously are much better friends now, but she showed up to UC San Diego and would meet me in the waiting room and she would walk my baby around in the stroller and change her diaper. And she let them know that they needed a changing station on the breast health floor Mm, because they didn't have one. Cause how many women show up to the infusion center with a baby? So I was it was like such a physical need that I had. I needed someone to watch my child so that my husband can sit next to me. Mm-hmm. And I am in Christy, if you are listening to this anywhere, you have made my heart a bigger place. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very concrete need um, that sometimes anyone going through treatment, we really just need someone to watch our children for us, uh, whether it's to nap because we need to sit on the couch and lay on the couch or our beds a little bit longer, mm-hmm. or if it's for like surgeries, doctor's appointments, especially, oh my God, it, in the world of COVID right now, you can't bring children into these centers mm-hmm. where I could at least go to follow-up appointments and bring my baby by myself mm-hmm. or with my husband. Like we could go as a family, but you can't do that anymore mm-hmm. with COVID. Mm-hmm. So you really need a friend a loved one that says, I will watch your children for you. Mm-hmm. I will watch your baby for you. That was one of the greatest needs. So good. So good. Sherrod, what was one question or one choice that um, allowed your great girlfriends to be in position for you? Well, you know, I, I put that in, I think about that in a um, an acronym, EASE, right? So to make it easy to really understand like what is needed. So as Missy talked about, it was someone to watch your infant, right? For someone else that has to have their bags drained that they're carrying, it may be to do that or having to get the shot so you don't have blood clots. It's to do that. And then being accepting. So in that, the E is ease. The A is acceptance. Just to accept what is happening without judgment, right? Yeah. So if we're watching TV and I go to sleep or if I'm getting chemo and it's you know, and I'm nervous about it. It's just being an ear, but literally just accepting where it is. If I just say like, you know, I had a friend that was like, I need to get a shot. I had to do a shot every day and I couldn't do it myself. And she was like, Hey, I've never done a shot before, but I'll do it. So just accepting of like doing what is asked and then making life simple. (laughs) Right. So how do you just rid of the chaos? I think sometimes you get, we get overstimulated. Right. And so just make it simple. It's your body, your cancer, your journey, which mine looks extraordinarily different from Missy's, which is extraordinarily different from your mom's Sybil. And it's just, it's different. So how do we make it simple? Mm-hmm. And then how do you just serve as an elevator? 
Mm-hmm. Right. So oh, someone that really good. is a evolution. <laughs> yeah. To your present situation. So ease. That's what I would say. I love ease. I love ease. You know, I have to just <laughs> throw, throw this in that um, to, to that point of ease and to that point of can you even watch my children? You know, my parents were seniors when my mom had her diagnosis and my father was going through his own Parkinson's experience. And my mom's great girlfriends started a food train and, you know, made sure that they never missed a meal. And there you go. They took cards and put them all over the house. So everywhere when I go visit, there was just cards and scriptures and we love you and you're going to make it through, you know, all that. It could be bringing the tears to think about the things that matter when you are in distress and would like ease right. and would like the support, like That's you right. said, of just the presence, Missy. Um, Kristen, and because you've had your own experience with cancer, Kristen, I heard that. So now what was one question or one choice that activated your great girlfriends to be present for you? Well, I, I'm, I'm going to share this for what my patients have taught me. And the word is guilt. I heard guilt came up. We feel guilty when we ask for, when we feel guilty when we ask for anything from anybody else. And when people offer us, sometimes we feel guilty to say yes, but the best gift you can give your girlfriends or friends is give them something to do. Have them pick up the newspaper, take your dry cleaning, bring you tuna noodle casserole, even if you don't like tuna noodle casserole. (laughs) But we should not feel guilty most true. We should not feel guilty that we have to be macho and strong. And I want to make this quick because I thought about it a lot. I have so many patients who feel like they have to be strong for everybody else, mm-hmm. including me. And they use the word strong and weak. And I tell them, we don't use those words. They're out of your vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Crying is not weak. It's human. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as strong or hope. There's resilience. Inner resilience mm-hmm. is built and strength through relationships, through our friendships, through love. It's called humanity. So I want women to not feel guilty to accept something from somebody else. And I want them to not feel guilty that they caused their cancer because none of you or your relatives cause breast cancer. We don't know what causes it. We know, yes, simple. And we could do this another session talking about strategies to decrease our risk. But I want women to not feel guilty they had this and they quote, did it to their family because I felt like I did my colon cancer, I did it and and interfered with my husband and son. They didn't make me feel that way. That was me. So we have to teach our sisters and our girlfriends, get rid of that word strong, weak, and guilt. You didn't cause your cancer and don't feel you're imposing on someone if they want to take your baby while you're having chemo and or or taking care of you when you want to take a nap. That is a real world because women have guilt tattooed on their forehead. Let's get rid of it. (laughs) Let's accept those people that love us and let our inner strength come from being human and let people see who we are. Kristen, we love you. (laughs) No, 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 no. Women taught me this. This is not Kristen. I am the conduit. I am simply the conduit from thousands of women who have inspired me through my Simple through my experience. They gave me strength. Yeah. You know, I, thank you I, for being used. Yes. Thank you and, for being and, used. And for even consuming. And you know what it is? It's there's one thing. This is why this conversation and why you all are so important, because it means so much to be seen, to be understood, and to be respected or and considered. And what I hear from you, Kristen, what I hear from you, Sherrod and Missy, um, is that visibility made a difference. 
you, Dr. Yes. Zarfus, because you were Dr. Zarfus, as you consumed all those stories, you saw each patient individually, you attended to their needs and you considered how it would affect the next woman up to the person who's actually listed this podcast. Sherrod and Missy were both seen in their journey and it gave them the support they needed to be sitting here with us today, alive and well and vibrant and passionate about this cause and advocating Absolutely. for the next generation of young women and, and senior women, women, humans now, because we're even talking yes. about men and breast health, right? And it's allowed us all to be connected through healthy women and for great girlfriends around the world to be a force for change. We're all vessels and conduits for transformation in this space. I have learned so much in this one episode. <laughs> so much, like so much. That, and I'm gonna tell you, I've had this conversation for years with different people in different ways. I have learned so much today that I'd never learned because of your contributions. And I know great girlfriends that are listening you are going to take away so many, not even nuggets, you're taking away like mounds of information that will help shape the way that you pursue your health and the health of your great girlfriends. So I want to just stop and thank Healthy Women for bringing us together. Thank you, Missy. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you, Sherrod, um, for being present today sure. and, and for just making your journey available to the next woman. Vulnerability is everything. Resilience is everything. Being human is everything. And I just want to thank you so much for bridging this conversation for our larger community. Thank you. Thank you, Sybil. Thank, thank you, you for Sybil. being the ultimate Sybil. great girlfriend, Sybil. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so empowered from hearing from all of you today. Uh, so honored to Carolyn and Stephanie for having me be a part of this. But wow. If I ever think about giving up, I'm going to remember this podcast and looking at your faces in the closet, in, the closet, <laughs> in your lovely uh, living room. Wow, you've given much more to me than I've given to you today. And isn't that the world? Women helping women. That's Absolutely. really what we're all about. Amen. Great girlfriends, did you enjoy this week's episode of the podcast? If so, would you please give us your amazing review on iTunes? Every single review helps another great girlfriend get plugged into the podcast and to the community. Speaking of community, make sure you join our Facebook group, The Great Girlfriends. You follow us on Instagram at The Great Girlfriends and on Twitter at the underscore great GFS. Last but not least, we'd like to thank my amazing husband, Kwaku, Sam and Dilly, and all of you for being a part of the global community that makes us so strong. Please remember to share with your friends, keep listening, and keep being a great girlfriend. I'm Sybil Amuti, and I'm out. Peace.